0: Okay, well, um, I want to read to you from the book of 1 Kings, 1 uh, Kings chapters, well, I really want to speak to you from 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse, uh, well, let's see, we'll start at verse 23, I think. So I, I want to speak really on First on Kings chapter 17, uh, verses 1 to 7, and, and particularly the, the 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 last half of that, but um like to just set the context because I think it will make more sense if we that. So let's read from um, let's read from uh verse 23 of chapter 16. Is that okay? this is what it says 1st Kings 16 23 in the 31st year of Asa king of Judah Omri became king of Israel and he reigned 12 years six of them in Tizra. he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemar for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill calling it Samaria and after Shemar, the name of the former owner of the hill. But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who was the first king of Israel, uh, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, committing the same sins Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit, so that they aroused the anger of the Lord and the God of Israel by their worthless idols. As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did and the things he achieved, are they not written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Israel? Omri rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria, Ahab also, made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Heel or Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Zegeb, in accordance with the word the Lord had spoken to joshua son of nun and then uh, 1 first 17 now elijah the tishbite from tishbe in gilead said to ahab as the lord the god of israel lives whom i serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word then the word of the lord came to elijah Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, just east of Jordan. And you will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Zidon and stay there. Well, uh, that, that's uh, the passage that I want to focus on this morning. So breaking, we break into the story of Elijah. Uh, where God tells him to leave Samaria and to go out into the desert or out into the wilderness to a place called, uh, sometimes it's called the Cherith Ravine. Hebrew is a guttural language, as you know, so the C-H is really a a kind of a Cherith Ravine, uh, for what it's worth. So Ahab is the king of evil, is the king of Israel. He's the evilest king that Israel has ever had. Not only did he repeat the sins of Jeroboam, who was the first king of the northern kingdom, and remember, he did want people leaving the northern uh, kingdom to go down to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. So he set up two golden calves, remember, Rehoboam, uh, set up two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel, and uh, the, the, the children of Israel were to worship there so that they wouldn't go down to Jerusalem. And uh, What we're told here is that King Ahab not only counted that trivial, uh, but he had married a pagan uh, king's daughter, so he had a pagan wife. She was a worshipper of Baal, that's the fertility god of Canaan, and uh, she brought with her all of her paganism into the palaces of Samaria. And Ahab built a temple in Samaria dedicated for the worship of this uh, Canaanite fertility god built an altar and had the Israelites worship this pagan idol that couldn't see, couldn't hear, and was absolutely impotent. So that was the nature of the of, of the times uh, in, in which Elijah steps onto the stage. And the remarkable thing is, I, I think the gracious thing is that in the middle of this uh, sin and apostasy, idolatry, people worshipping idols that can't see. In the middle of all of this, uh, unbelievable times, God sends a prophet to speak to the Israelites and to call them back from worshipping impotent things to worshipping him. And I I think that's an expression of God's grace, that uh, he's interested enough in these idolatrous people to send a prophet to speak to them and try and turn them from their idolatry. Now, not told exactly why God told Elijah to go to uh, the Karith Ravine, uh, which is out in the wilderness, a little gouge in the desert where a brook runs, not told why God uh, told him to leave Samaria after he had announced that there was going to be a drought uh, in the land. Um, there, There might have been a I think there's several answers to the question as to why God told them to go out into the desert and basically camp out at a, at a little brook. Uh, first of all, um, some people suggest maybe God wanted to keep him safe. So Jezebel is the queen, she's the driving force in this marriage, she's pagan through and through. Uh, an altar has been built for the worship of her God. Um, She's persecuting the prophets of Jehovah or Yahweh or the God of the Bible. Um, Obadiah, who works in the palace, has had to keep a hundred prophets hidden from her in two different caves, 50 in each cave. So she's on this ruthless campaign, it would appear, to eliminate the worship of God and, and replace it with the worship of idols. So you can imagine how she feels when Elijah walks into the palace and says there's going to be no more rain in this country unless at my command and I'm not going to give a command unless you change your ways and, and worship the God that you should be worshipping and turn away from these pagan idols that you're worshipping. You can imagine how she would feel uh, as the drought sets in. Now Israel's a dry place, some of you have been there no doubt very dry, arid place. One of the worst things that can happen in a place like that is that no rain falls because the crops will all fail. So uh, Elijah's announced a drought, and you can imagine that Jezebel will be absolutely fuming. I mean, she'll be absolutely clean mad, wanting to get her hands on Elijah. I've no doubt she was Uh, prompting her husband, you better do something about this rascal, you better go and get this man and and deal with him the way he should be dealt with. So maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons that God took Elijah to this Kerith ravine was to keep him safe, although I'm, I'm not super convinced by that because I think God could have kept Elijah safe in the palace underneath the king's nose if he had wanted to, but maybe that's one of the reasons. Another reason that's suggested is that God wants to underscore his disproval uh, w- w- with these people and their worship of, of idols. So, I mean, one of the worst things that can happen, surely, is, is for God to go silent. That's got to be one of the worst things to happen in a person's life. Like King Herod, at the end of uh, at, at Jesus' life, Jesus was sent to him during his trial, and, and Jesus said nothing to him because he had already cut off the volume in his when he beheaded John Baptist. And there's nothing more to be said and nothing more was said to him. And it's a frightening thing when God stops speaking to a nation. So uh, this whole, whole idea of God sort of asking Elijah to absent himself from these people is to underscore God's disproval with their actions. And it's, it's as if, you know, God goes silent uh, for a period. And that too might be a reason why God took him to this little brook. The third reason that's suggested is that maybe God was trying to teach him uh, Elijah lessons. See, um, uh, spiritual greatness, I don't think, comes suddenly. I think it's something that's forged in the experiences of life as you prove God and get to know God and realize the faithfulness of God. It's not just something that you know miraculously happens. I think spiritual greatness and great faith comes in the melting pot of life. And I think the Bible is full of illustrations of this. People that had to learn how to serve in lesser settings before God entrusted them with greatness or with great responsibilities. Joseph, for instance, had to learn how to be a prisoner before he learned how to be a prime minister, Moses had to learn how to be a shepherd on the backside of the desert before he became the leader of the people of Israel. David had to learn how to care for sheep and live a life on the run before he was crowned as the king of Israel. And here I think Elijah is being taught, shaped, molded by God in preparation for what is to come. Because, you know, if he is going to stand against an entire nation and a king and a queen. He has got to be in a place where he trusts God implicitly. So to go to a, a little brook in the middle of a desert during during a drought, you've got to know that God will follow through in his promises uh, to be able to stay there and, and uh, wait for God to give you further instructions. Well, that's a little bit of the background. I hope that will help to make some sense of where we are in the story. But let, let me just um, lift three quick things out of uh, chapter 17. I want you to think about um, Elijah obeying the voice of God. I want you to think about him relying on the provision of God. And finally, for a few minutes, uh, I want you to think about him trusting in the wisdom of God. So first of all, obeying the voice of God. So he's gone into the palace and he's done exactly what God told him to do. God told them, go in there and tell them that there's going to be a drought, no more rain. And uh, he did that. And then when he came out of the palace, and it took incredible courage to do that, I think, to be able to stand up and say, no, this is not right, the way you folk are living and, and God's judgment is going to fall upon you. To go into the palace, it's like someone from, you know, a sheep farmer from Glencoe, dressed in camel skin or sheepskin with a big leather belt, walking into Hollywood or down into Westminster and telling Nicola or Boris, there's going to be no more rain until this nation changes its ways. And uh, Elijah shows incredible courage to do what he did. But after he came out of the palace, there's no indication that God told him what to do next until he got out of the palace, so God didn't say to him at the beginning, "So I want you now to go and do this, and as soon as you've done, told the king and queen there's going to be no more rain, then I want you to go out into the wilderness. He was to just follow God a step at a, a step at a time, and his heart must have been throbbing after he had spoken to the king and queen. And the adrenaline must have been pumping through his body, I'm sure, um, wondering, what do I do now? Where do I go now? But as he comes uh, out of the palace, it seems then the voice of the Lord came to Elijah and told him what to do next. Now, I don't know what, what, what you get from that, but what I get from that is this is a man who knows what it is to have God speak to him. Uh, God speaks to him. He hears God speaking to him. This man is in a relationship with God that's real and living. And I suppose all of us need to ask. And I know he was a prophet. And I know that uh, he was an Old Testament prophet who lived at an unusual time, had an unusual task. But surely it's for all of us to have some sense in which This relationship that we have with God is real and that God is speaking to us. And I wonder when the last time you really heard the voice of God speaking to you. The other thing is that he obeyed. It must have been a strange thing to be told to go out into the wilderness from from one perspective. um, I mean, to go out to a brook during a time of drought, uh, not not a, a lake, not a river, a brook a little trickle in the desert that's where he was to go and camp out during this time of drought that he has just predicted so he himself begins to experience uh the circumstances that that uh, are befalling this nation brook of Cherith. now we sometimes have a fairly romantic picture of what it must have been like for elijah to be at the brook we think oh green grass you know sun loungers lots of Diet Coke to drink. But the truth is it was in the desert and it was a brook. And it was during the day, it could reach temperatures of up to 45 degrees Celsius. And that in itself would create a green algae to grow on the surface of the water. So not a pleasant place uh, to go to. The other thing which is worth just thinking about as you think about Elijah obeying what God said to him was that he's a prophet and he's got a message burning in his bones. He is living among people who are idolaters and he must have wanted to go and tell them and preach the message of the Lord to them. But God says, no, no, I don't want you to go and preach. I just want you to go and camp out under lockdown by a brook. And uh, the other thing that I, I was thinking about was, you know, the school of the prophets is already in existence and they're under threat from Jezebel. So if he can't preach, maybe at least he could go and prepare the prophets to preach when the lockdown is over. But God says, no, no, don't go to the school of the prophets. I'm not expecting you to give leadership to them. I'm not expecting you to preach to the, to, to the people of Israel and call them from their idolatry. I want you to go and live in a lockdown by the Kerith uh, Ravine. It's one thing to hear God speak, isn't it? But it's another thing to actually do what God asks us to do. And uh, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for me as, as we hear God speak to us from his word, as we sit in church. God speaks to us about our attitude. God speaks to us about the direction of our lives. God speaks to us about some ministry he wants us to get engaged in. And the question is then, well, we actually do what God wants us to do. Uh, This man not only heard God speak to him, but he did exactly what God wanted him to do. Well, the second thing is he experiences the provision of God. So he goes to the Karith Rabin or whatever way you want to pronounce it's where he goes, and, and that's where God tells him to go. And God tells him when he gets there that he'll be able to drink from a brook and tells him when he gets there, that the ravens will feed him. Now, if he goes somewhere else, and he probably has some other preferred hiding places, maybe back to where he came from in Gilead, could have gone there. But, but, But the ravens will not bring him food, bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. The ravens will not bring him food unless he goes to the place that God wants him to go. And, uh, you know, God never said anything about the next step after the Kerith Ravine. God didn't say, and then I'll send you to Zarephath and a widow will feed you. And then you'll go to Mount Carmel and you'll fight the prophets of Baal and your prayers will be answered by fire. God didn't give him any future indications. He was just to obey God a step step at a time. And oftentimes it's like that in the journey of life. We want to know the full picture of what's next, Lord. Sometimes I'm like that, what's next, Lord? But the truth is we just need to obey God a step at a time. And uh, who knows why we are in the circumstances that we're in, all of us. But we must just simply trust that God knows. But here's the thing that strikes me. The promise is given. When you get there, you'll drink from the brook. And I'll command the ravens to feed you there. And then verse 6, the promise is fulfilled. The ravens brought him bread in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the the brook. So no vegetation in the wilderness for Elijah to sustain himself. He is absolutely dependent on God fulfilling the promises that he made. And when he gets to Cherith, sure enough, he finds that the ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Now, ravens are scavengers. They they feed on... uh, animals' carcasses and animals' awful, And, uh, you know, the very thought of them carrying food around during a time of drought and famine is almost unbelievable. But God promised and God fulfilled his promise. And I think the lesson from this for all of us is if God brings us to it, he can sustain us in it. If God brings us to it, he can carry us through it. I think that's what Elijah discovered at the brook. And I think at this stage in this lockdown process, frustration, frustration is, is setting in. People, are, I think, are getting tired of it. But uh, we must trust that although we would rather be in other places, a bit like Elijah, uh, this, is, this is where we are. And we must trust that God will give us the grace that we need to endure it and 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 to fulfill his purposes in it. I remember some, many years ago, actually, a friend of ours was told that, uh, friends of ours were told, they were having a baby, told that there were complications with the baby's brain. And I remember them saying, well, whatever happens, God will give the grace that's necessary. And I thought it was a great response to very difficult circumstances that God, will give the grace that's necessary, and that's Elijah. Well, finally then, just trusting in the wisdom of God, verse 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the reality of what Elijah had pre- predicted is now beginning to hit home, and, and you can only, we can only imagine the condition that the country was reduced to with no rain, just absolute famine. And after a number of months would pass, no greenery, uh, everything turned brown, uh, the earth became cracked and parched, the rivers rivers would dry up. And one of the first things that would dry up would be this little brook. And you can imagine Elijah sitting at this brook, watching it drying up during a time of drought. So the brook dried up. It, it less and less it flowed every day it got to a point where he probably had to dig a bit of a hole in the brook in order to collect enough water to drink and he must have wondered well where's god now and why is god not speaking to me now about where what i should do next but the thing is he had to sit tight at this drying brook, brook until god came and gave him the rest of the instructions and sometimes God does call his people to sit at a drying brook, the drying brook of health, the drying drying brook of a broken friendship or the drying brook of employment as it becomes impossible. And we wonder, well, what happens now and where do we go now? And I think, if you, I, I think Elijah's at his greatest at this point because it's harder, isn't it, to sit at a drying brook than it is to stand on Mount Carmel and face the prophets of Baal when God's answering your prayers with fire. It's a lot harder to sit at a drying brook than it is to watch God consume an offering on an altar with fire from heaven. I I think Elijah's learning to trust God, even when it seems that circumstances around him are impossible. He's learning to trust God and to sit tight at this drying brook and to walk by faith and not by sight, and to believe despite the circumstances that God still has it in hand. Finally then, uh, as we think about this uh, trusting the wisdom of God, you you might think, well this is a grim message. You're basically just telling us to sit tight and trust God in the middle of uh, difficult circumstances, but what I want you to know notice from the story as, as it kind of wraps up is that the brook was there as long as it was necessary. And when it dried up completely and it was no longer there, it was then that God said, I want you to go to Zarephath because I've got a widow who will feed you there. So the brook was there as long as it was needed. And... Uh, we need to learn to walk less by sight and, and more by faith because it was when Elijah started to walk by sight that he crumbled and he looked at his circumstances. He looked at the queen and he thought about her evil threats and he took off and he went down to Horeb and he lay under a bush and in a state of depression. But, but that's because he took his eyes off God and started to focus on the circumstances But I think one of the finest moments in Elijah's life is when he's sitting at this drying brook, trusting that God still has it in hand and that God will take care of him. And I think in the middle of this lockdown, that's what we need to do. We need to just trust that God is working out his purposes despite the frustrations that are around us. And some of us might find ourselves at a drying brook for other reasons, health, employment. Some folks have had a very difficult week, no doubt but somehow we must believe that God still has it in hand and will still work things out for his glory and our ultimate good. So those are the scattered thoughts. He obeyed the voice of God. He experienced the provision of God. And finally, he trusted the wisdom of God. And uh, I trust that God will give us the grace to do those three things uh, in our life. So I'm going to hand back to Graham, and uh, maybe I'll just pray before I do that. Lord, thank you for this story in the depths of the Old Testament, which uh, tells us about a prophet who lived at difficult times and had to go into lockdown in a difficult place. He didn't have Zoom to meet with others. He He wasn't able to go to the supermarket. Uh, he had to trust that you would miraculously feed him, and uh, we thank you that you remind, you 've reminded us that you did that and that you fulfilled every promise that you made to him and you sustained him, and that your provision was there in Carith as long as he needed it and We thank you that those principles are transferable to the 21st century. We thank you, Lord that you can sustain us and you will sustain us and you'll give us the grace that we need and we pray that that you'll give us the grace that we need to trust you and to trust that despite circumstances you still have it in hand. We pray this in our Saviour's name. Amen.